0: Who cares if some distant galaxy is exploding? But if you've discovered that, you feel great. I've made a contribution to knowledge. With us, we've an add-on, which is we're working on human health. And my dream is to make a new medicine, by the way. That's my ultimate. If we can discover a brand new medicine that benefits people, then that's got to be the best thing ever, hasn't it?
1: When you think of explorers, what do you think of? Maybe Christopher Columbus, and that is correct. But these are not the only type of explorers. My guest today, Dr. Luke O'Neill, immunologist and chair of biochemistry at Trinity College here in Dublin, sees himself and other scientists as explorers, always finding new discoveries and investigating how they can potentially change the world around us. Luke is an, an infectious communicator with a passion for science. He lives in Dublin with his family and is in the top 1% of immunologists in the world, alongside Nobel laureates and other academics. Luke, you're very, very welcome to the Beacon. And I think I made a mistake. You're actually from Wicklow. You live in Wicklow. I'm and from not... Bray
0: County. Very proud. Yeah. Grew up in Bray County. I haven't been in Bray for a while, mind you, but grew up in Bray County, Wicklow.
1: Yeah, yeah so we are here. We're actually together, apart.
0: We are. We're two metres apart.
1: That's Ex- the key thing. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And uh, so, Luke, I, I want to go back a little bit to how you actually got into science in the first place. Um, I think you flirted with the idea of doing English and then becoming a doctor. Did you have an aha moment?
0: That's a good question. I don't know, like many of us, I suppose you look back on your life and you wonder, how the hell did I pick what it? I was lucky in a way because I had a fantastic biology teacher. I have to give... Fran Mooney, credit from Bray and uh, he got many of us into biology. Great teacher, you know. If he hadn't have been there, I wouldn't have been a biologist, probably. You know, and a great English teacher as well, and I loved English. So they were the kind of two things that I remember most of all from my time in Presbury. Let's give Pres a shout out, and that 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 was it. He got me going. I'd read stuff. I was had an interest in it. I remember vividly, actually, um, uh, in the Wicklow Mountains wondering, how do these mountains form? Remember when I was like 13 or something and, and then I heard about glaciation. Like those valleys were full of icebergs at one time. Whatever, you, know, or big, you know, glaciers. That got my imagination. So I think I was, maybe I was always heading in the direction of science, I suppose.
1: Yeah. You sound so passionate and so excited about science. And I know as much as the data and, you know, the discoveries you make in science, I think you're also really very passionate about communicating science and making it accessible to yeah, that, that was people. a strange
0: one because I did a PhD then. You see, to become a scientist, it takes a long time. Francis, so You do a degree and my degree was biochemistry. Then I went to London and did a PhD. That took three years and then I did a, what's called a postdoc. Can you believe it? You do another thing called a postdoc and that takes another two or three years. But I was always into it big time. Now, if you're into something, You want to tell people, don't you? If your enthusiasms. I'm a big fan of the Beatles. I could have become a Beatleologist, you know, because I'd love to tell people (laughs) the Beatles. So it just became the thing. And I'd be in the pub with my friends, boring them about the immune system. And, you know, and I'd be using beer mats to illustrate. So I was always into telling people, I suppose, just because I was so into it myself, maybe. And then I knew I had to be an academic because in university you have a captive audience. You see, they're in the lecture theatre. Not anymore, by the way. Probably Zoom, but they're in the lecture theatre. And you can tell these kids, and that's a thrill because you've got the youngest minds you can mould you know it's fantastic to have bright not just anybody and curious in the class. People, like well, yourself. they're all great, anyway, you know. And and my job is to sort of tell them my enthusiasms and and make them into immunologists in a way, and they can choose to be one or not. It's up to them, you know.
1: You know, and I know that you're in Dublin and in Ireland. You are now a household name, and I guess the the whole um, entry of COVID into all of our lives has made us all a little bit more curious, interested in what science is and actually what science can do for us and you know, not taking away from the fact that there is so much tragedy and change around COVID-19 as a scientist it must be Mind-blowing times, is
0: it? Well, it's now it's a strange one that this came up. Let's face it, and I happen to be in an immunology sort of area, and that's highly relevant to COVID nineteen. So, and I was doing some media stuff. You see, I was on Pat Kenny like every week, and that was fun. And I would turn up and talk about science topics. Suddenly, the biggest game in town is uh, the immune system. Isn't it strange? And then Pat goes, "Let's go on twice a week." Lots of people say, "Will you come on our show?" So suddenly, I went from once a week to every day, almost there. Now, I was as surprised as anybody, to be honest. Now, what's good about it is um, I'm sharing my knowledge with people. And why, why wouldn't I? It's a privilege, actually, to be asked to do it because I have all this knowledge inside me that's highly relevant to everybody. And I tell people and, and hopefully inform them because I think it's so important. It's part of our job, remember, as, as academics, is to tell the public as well as students.
1: Yeah. And I think if you go back and you look at science, like in schools, like way back, um, you know, science really wasn't encouraged even amongst women. It would have be more uh, the male and and also, I think, well, look, maybe I speak for myself, but, but for others as well, we might feel a little bit remote from the topic. Yeah. That's just something scientists do. But actually, I think this really has shown actually how important it is to everything that we do.
0: I think it changed over the last 20 odd years, maybe, where scientists began to be better at communicating it. Now, I wouldn't blame anybody when their eyes glaze over and some mathematician or immunologist is banging on about something and that's all very technical. And I think scientists had to step up actually and that became part of the training was how to communicate science to a lay audience, you see. So it was, all, it was in the works, you know, because we realised you got to do a better job and some are good and some aren't and yeah. it's tricky you know but it's understandable that most people are to be bored because the jargon i mean every second word is like it's like you're learning speaking to somebody who speaks french and you, and you can't speak french it's impossible so i think that improved and like one place i always mentioned, the science gallery in dublin had a huge effect on science communication for instance so so there was a, there was a move towards this anyway now covid-19 is the golden opportunity of course to explain science to people because they're listening for obvious reasons such a serious thing so so for us scientists uh, we see this as a as, as a as a benefit strangely because you can explain how the immune system works to people and then maybe they'll begin to think science is good because th- there's, there's been anti-science for a while there's been you know oh, you guys are so pompous and all this sort of stuff It's a bad press you know so i, I think covid is, is a way to correct that and explain what science really is about
1: Yeah. And listen, bring me into your lab now for a second. I work in an office, a typical office job. You know, something goes wrong. We give it a few weeks. We think about it. We might review it again. You know, Covid has shown for us all like, crikey, we've got to do it now or, you know, we're going to be not relevant. The science process. Yeah. How does that work? Tell but me about a day in the science it's, lab.
0: It's almost impossible to, get, to, to convey it in a way unless you're in a lab yourself. So it's a strange one. So my lab would have 14 people now working as we speak, one minute from here. That's a mix of PhD students and postdocs and a couple of technicians. And they come in every morning and they do experiments. Now what that means is they take cells out of the human body. They put them in a dish. They stimulate them with bits of virus. They measure things in those cells. And then they might add something else in and do an experiment and test something, you know. So it's all about hands-on, actually. You've got to be using your hands. And then you have an idea. All science begins with an idea. So one example I'll give you with COVID is we have a molecule that we think is anti-inflammatory, so it can suppress inflammation. Now, COVID is effectively an inflammatory condition because your lungs fill up with virus and that drives the immune system crazy. And then we get this inflammatory process, which means fluid builds up, you know, the immune system is in there and then the tissue gets damaged. Imagine you've sprained your ankle. That's inflammation. This time your lung is sprained it doesn't work. If you sprain your ankle, you can't walk on it. Equally, your lungs don't work, right? Now, we're trying to develop ways to block that. And we have a brand new idea. There's a molecule we discovered. It's called itaconate, another jargon term, but it's a, it's a natural thing in your body, actually. It's a break on the immune system. And now we're testing it in COVID-19. And we're getting some data. It's amazing. I think I was saying that earlier. It must be
1: very exciting. This evening,
0: I'm waiting for data to come in from our, 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 our Dutch collaborators. I can't wait because, and the Dutch collaborator very tantalisingly sent me an email. I said, the data looks good. I'm analysing it at the moment, so I'm waiting for them to send me that. Now, it could be, you know, a false dawn, but certainly we have ideas that we're testing now in the lab. And that, that's what you do as a scientist. You get an idea and you have to do experiments to get data to support the idea because science is actually all about the data and what the data tells you. And, and in my lab, we're very molecular, so we work on molecules and cells. Other scientists work on different things, you see. It just depends on what branch of science you're in.
1: And of course, I mean, you were telling me when you arrived here today that an experiment hadn't worked and that must happen all the time and so you to change direction immediately is that out and start again like
0: yeah if something doesn't work it's a bummer let's call it that and i I suspect 90 percent of the time it's failing it's failing because your idea was wrong and that could be for all kinds of reasons or it's just too tough to show the idea is real you know and the experiment doesn't quite add up and it's a bit plus minus and i can't continue that now you know so sometimes your idea can't be can't be proven and
1: does that feel personal at the time
0: it does when you're a phd student i was devastated and i see i'm it's easy for me i'm I'm the worst kind of manager i've got 15 of them in the lab if one is working i'm happy okay (laughs) because that's the one oh you got data i won't talk to the guy who didn't to some extent you know uh but when when it's your own project it's your only thing and then it isn't working you go god Back to the drawing board. And when I was in Cambridge, to give an example, so I began my postdoc in Cambridge, a pretty flash place, remember? Oh, the first two years, I got nothing. Two years wasted. Nothing worked. All the ideas were rubbish. Couldn't prove it. Towards the end of the second year, one experiment worked. And I was off and running like a maniac, you know? And then we made an important discovery, actually, at that time, about the inflammatory process. The thrill of that, you can't. I can't convey it to you, you know? You're, you're, can you imagine? You're, you're Christopher Columbus, and that's his great friends. Christopher Columbus, when those clouds parted and he saw America. Oh, yeah. For us, if I see something, the first time anyone in the world has seen this, you know, because science has to discover new things, and we were the first to see this particular thing, nobody else in Japan or America had seen this. I'd seen it with my own eyes. Wow. you know, Because your, your first fear is you're wrong, because you did the experiment wrong, or you added something to the test tube that was wrong. And then finally you convince yourself it's right, then you publish it, because we publish our findings. Your next step is someone else repeats what you did in a different lab, and that means it wasn't just something about the liffy water, you know. In other words, it's a universal thing. And that's the next big thrill that you've made a little... The, the thrill there is you, you've added to the sum total of human knowledge and you've done it, not nobody else. The, the little jigsaw piece is you, you know, and oh, that's great. I've added to that knowledge.
1: So you can see why you matter. Like you really feel like you're an important cog and the wheel there.
0: That's a good question what, where, where the thrill comes. I think it depends on the individual. Um, you know, for me, a big part of it is a job well done, actually. So if, if you paint your house and you go, oh, look at that. I feel good about that now because I've, I've I've done a good job here. There's a satisfaction in work that's that's sort of good, you know. But for us, of course, the biomedical thing is so important. We're trying to make a difference to human diseases. See, as a scientist, your prime motivation is just discovery. It could be you could be an astronomer. Like who cares if some distant galaxy is exploding, but if you've discover that, you feel great. I've made a contribution to knowledge. With us, we've an add on, which is we're working on human health. And my dream is to make a new medicine, by the way. That's my ultimate goal. I haven't done it yet. I've been 35 years in the job. But uh, if we can discover a brand new medicine that benefits people, then that's got to be the best thing ever, hasn't it? So, so it's a double whammy in that sense. It's, it's the joy of science yeah. combined with helping humanity, I suppose. It sounds very... Yeah. What's the word? Um, yeah. You know... <laughs> Uh, i'd be turning to martin luther king eventually i have a dream you know but you know what i mean if if we can and we have a couple of ideas for new medicines which is hugely important now remember it's, it's one of the most difficult things in the world is to discover new medicine otherwise we'd have cures for all these diseases but very often you're adding a tiny bit to that discovery process and that suffices you know
1: yeah so you've got a new book coming out in September, I think. Uh, never mind the bollocks. Here's the science. Can you say the word bollocks? <laughs> oh, I can. I can say it a few times if you want. <laughs> <Does it? laughs> but I know one of the chapters um, in this book is why are you working in a bullshit job? Yes. Can, you, uh, can you explain to us what, what we can expect out of that?
0: I can. And indeed. are we all going
1: to be looking at our jobs going, what the hell?
0: Well, well, that book was interesting they asked me to do. I did, I did one before called Humanology, which was all about the science of being human. And that went well for Gil. I'll do another one. And then I thought I'd do a book on how science can inform the big questions. In other words, how can science help us? So so the book takes many topics, including vaccines, for instance. You know, But that particular chapter, I, I became really interested in it. A guy called David Graeber wrote a book called Bullshit Jobs. And that got my attention. Like, what is a bullshit job? And it turns out that 50% of jobs in an economy are bullshit in other words, if they stop doing it, it wouldn't matter to anybody, you know. It's the person, I, I'll send you a memo and you send me one back and that keeps the job going, you know. And that got my interest. So why do we work anyway? Like, why do people work in factories? Or what is work all about in the working life? What is it, you know? So it goes into the kind of science behind motivation. Yeah. What makes us do what we do, how we get rewards. It's very psychological, that chapter, of course, you know. So we go into, And of course, I wrote the chapter before COVID. Mm-hmm and i kind of submitted the book at the end of january just when this was all kicking off and of course i've had to change it now haven't i and update it now a third of that chapter was about remote working amazingly but this is before the COVID thing even because many companies were doing it already ibm were doing it was it good was it bad does it improve productivity all those things and I had to say well hang on a minute the whole world is remote working now and what does that mean for economies and you know those things so so suddenly COVID made that chapter all the more relevant you see and then another example is what, what was previously seen as a bullshit job is no longer a bullshit job. So hairdressers, strangely, some people thought that ah, that's a bit of a bullshitty job. You know, they're not, you know, but it wouldn't be too critical of them myself, but some would have thought that's not that important a job, is it? Look what happened. They are as important as anybody else. Yes, yeah, so.
1: So it was ever relevant. Yeah. But I sure. guess it all kind of goes back to how we think about the job we want to do Oh, how we come about it. Are we driven by the money, the status? Yep. At a, at a stage when you're making those decisions, maybe purpose doesn't seem that important.
0: Well, I will going to career guidance either. in that chapter as well, by the way. So, and, okay. and that's a very important thing. Now, there's loads of work on this, you see. Yeah. And and it's it's this Maslow's hierarchy of needs. This, yes, this, yeah. yeah, we've all heard. And that that's what this is about. So, yeah. in other words, your your base needs are food and drink and stuff like that. You know, you do have loving, you know, social needs because we're a social species. Then it's that you get higher needs, and and they're you know they're things like status. The biggest need of all is self-actualization. Is that it's a horribly bit of a mouthful? But that means living a life true to yourself, yeah. you know. And, and that's the the goal of work has to be to achieve that. And if you're lucky like me, and, and you as well, probably you're in a job that allows you to say you've got self Many people don't. I mean, I think the world of work is going to change hugely because of COVID, because many people are working in jobs they hate. That's unacceptable. You know, that's how, how would I have such misery in the world? You know, so we're gonna we're gonna reconfigure. What work is, I think, and then the universal income. I, I wrote about that at length in that chapter, and that became a thing in COVID as well. And that frees people usually to live a life that's more fulfilling. You see, so so it goes into all those sorts of things, you know, in great detail. And then and then the Japanese have a word for this it's called ikigai. They call it, and that's when four things come together. You have to be paid because you got to. That that yeah. gives you your worth, and you got to make a living, let's face it. You know, you got to have something that's vocational. That's really good as well. And then a purpose and, and getting back to that idea of having a purpose in life. And, and many people go into jobs like teaching or medicine to get that purpose part. Yeah. You know,
1: I do think actually as a result of COVID, um, the new entrance into college this year that we're going to see an awful lot more people do science, medicine,
0: Yeah, I think that'll happen because it's in the media. Like forensics is huge because of those TV shows, that kind of thing, you know. But now that young people can see immunology or virology or epidemiology they wouldn't have known about those in the past maybe oh that looks interesting you know maybe i'll consider that as a job and and young people expect the, the chapter is actually aimed at young people in a sense because you want to encourage them and get them to lead a life and this is career guidance and like that, that comes into it as well and and young people want a mission remember the, the one thing you can give a young person from my experience teaching is if you give them a mission they'll sign up to that it could be climate change it could be COVID-19, it could be all these different things. And then, they, you know, they're really passionate about it, you know. So I think that that's part of the process as well in terms of what they might decide to do.
1: Yeah, so building that passion is hmm. so important to actually getting things done. Yeah. Um, and do you think for our children, like I've got a five-year-old, is, does she have a pandemic down the line for her?
0: Well, that's a great question. That's what's going to happen to this generation. They will definitely be badly, if, well, maybe badly is too negative a term, but it's going to change their lives, remember. So, uh they they have picked up off you. Sadly, your anxieties will transmit to the children because they they sense these things. And with the best way in the world you're trying to protect them and all that. So it's interesting what's going to happen to this generation. I think. And there's a risk of more pandemics. Of course, there is. But but can you imagine the world they're entering now, where we already knew about the massive economic crash that messed it up for. You know, people in their 20s, you know, and now this next generation have to face into this post-COVID world. So it's, it's our job as adults and parents and leaders to try to make the world a better place for them. That's a key mission.
1: There seems to be, um, maybe I'm naive about this, but a bit more of a, a cohesive attitude to how we can repair the damage. With this, because we've all been in it together, it's not a financial, it's not the bank's problem or the uh, just the government's problem. It's everybody's problem, and I and I wonder, like I know you're not an economist or anything, but how you see that playing out as we go into recovery, or the new normal as we call it. Yeah. Well,
0: here's a strange idea, Francis. All through history, there's been people have come along and said, "Would you be nice to each other?" Jesus Christ is a good example. You know, that's all he said, really. That'd be nice. COVID-19, hopefully, is making us more like that. Maybe, maybe that will achieve what we always want. Karl Marx is another example. I mean, that's really what he was saying as well, I remember. So uh, so I think COVID is gonna, definitely having an effect. It's such an emergency. There's so much suffering and so much, you know, worries about older people, younger people, all that kind of thing. We Hopefully, we're seeing people work together now. And we're seeing more of a sort of a, you know, a collegiate view about these problems. And so one thing we've learned for definitely, we have to work together to solve this, but it's a massive problem. It's a bit like World War II in a way, because the world did galvanize behind Nazism there and began to self-sacrifice, became a big part of that. So, so maybe we need these emergencies to shake us up and make us realize we're in this together, you see. So I hope that that will continue.
1: Yeah, and I, and I think also it's a lesson that we have to take the joy where we can get it and the laughter where we can get it. And that, um, I was la- I laughed out loud, Luke, when I asked you what would be the speech. Do you mind if I play it? I'd love it if okay. <laughs> I Okay, I'll, I'll say no more. How
2: blessed are those who hunger and thirst to see right. free through- up! Shh, quiet, Mum. Where do you a thing. go to stoning you can go to a stoning anytime oh come on brian will you be quiet do you mind i can't hear a word he's saying don't you do you mind me i was talking to my husband well go and talk to him somewhere else i can't hear a bloody thing don't you swear my wife i was only asking him to shut up so he can hear what he's saying big nose don't you call my husband big nose well he has got a big nose could you be quiet please what was that? I don't know, I was too busy talking a big nose. I think it was blessed are the cheesemakers. What's so special about the cheesemakers? Well, obviously, it's not meant to be taken literally. It refers to any manufacturers of dairy products. See, if you haven't been going on, we'd have heard that, big nose. Hey, say that once more, I'll smash your bloody face in. Oh. Better keep listening. Might be a bit about blessed are the big noses. Oh, lay off him. You hear that? Blessed are the Greek. Big Greek. Mm. Well, apparently going to inherit at the earth did anyone catch his name you're not gonna thump anybody i'll thump him if he calls me big nose again oh shut up big nose oh what i warned you i really will slug you so hard. oh it's the meek blessed are the meek oh that's nice isn't it? i'm glad they're getting something because they have hell of a time
1: oh i love that luke and i love that it tells us so isn't much about great? you that you chose that <laughs> as well tell me why did you choose this as well, your as your speech?
0: Well, more seriously, the Beatitudes is a great speech when Jesus himself, if you believe in Jesus or not, doesn't matter. Blessed all those blessed. That's a fantastic thing, you know. And and um, blessed are the meek. I mean, who would have thought that'd be a fantastic and then Monty Python, who I'm a big fan of, wondered, imagine being there and you're at the back of the crowd and you can't quite hear him. <laughs> that's the it was that idea that really got my my my, my, uh, my imagination. And then blessed are the cheesemakers, and then the guy, the pompous academic and I think he's talking about general manufacturer product. So I just think it was superb as a way to take the mickey. Now they weren't trying to make fun of Christ, remember that Bonty Python they said that afterwards, that, that movie because I remember when I was in Presbury actually when that movie came as banned in Ireland You know, Life oh, of Brian yes. was yeah, yeah. and they missed the point entirely yeah. that movie actually doesn't knock Christ or Christianity at all it, it knocks this blind faith or whatever, following people for stupid reasons, and, and remember, science is good because it stops people being brainwashed and you know hopefully and informs people about real things. So I think there's a tie into science as well there in a way, you know.
1: And it's a great reminder that there's always room for a laugh as well. Ab- Do you know what?
0: Absolutely essential.
1: So Luke, we have run out of time, and it is a pleasure uh, to have you here. And thanks so much for taking the time. I know how busy you are, for being with us here today on the B Side pro- uh, podcast. I myself, I'm always bubbling with enthusiasm after I've been speaking to. You. I really enjoyed having Luke O'Neill in the studio with me today and learning a little bit more about how he got hooked on science Um, but for anyone out there who's interested in learning a little bit more about the man Luke O'Neill you might want to continue listening Luke and I continued our conversation after the interview today, and he went on to delve into another one of his passions, music. This conversation is raw and unedited, and the sound quality is not quite as good. However, we felt it was worth including. I hope you enjoy it as much as I enjoyed having the chat. And thanks again for listening. So tell me about your music, actually. I didn't get to even talk talk about it there, but yes. yeah. Well, I've always played guitar
0: since I was on the piano, since I was a young fella And in fact I was seven I began playing piano. And they're quite a good piano player. My mother loved this and sent me to lessons and all that, you know. And then when I was 14, I picked up a guitar and I realised this is better than the piano because I can bring it to parties sort or of, whatever, you know. Yeah, yeah. And then I've been playing guitar. And then I've always been in bands then since I was about 18 or 19. Messing, you know. Yeah, love it. Love it, yeah. And then I was in London then. I, the, the, I was in London for my PhD. I began busking on the underground Yeah. with Tony Connolly. Have you ever heard of him? He's the RTE. Oh, yeah. yeah. He's my big buddy now. We met in yeah. London back in the eighties. He was he was working on a building site before he was a journalist, and he plays guitar as well. So we began, okay. and then then we had bands together. We yeah. do you remember the Pogues, you do. Oh, of we yeah. would have like be a pro tribute band. I Got loads of gigs in London. Do you want to hear the highlight? So then I went to Cambridge for a postdoc. At that stage, Tony had got a job as a journalist. He was working in Oxford for the Oxford Courier, which was a Oxford. Whatever. And then he came up to Cambridge, and I got Oxford, and we made a band, and we, we began doing gigs in pubs. And one night, did a great gig one night. There were seven of us in the band at that point. The gig went great, right? And then a guy says to me, can I have a with you? I said, yeah. He says, uh, oh, would you be interested in supporting my band on a European tour? And I said, well, that that might be interesting. Oh, yeah, he says, uh, we've got a three-month tour of Europe. He was the Furies' manager this fella. Remember the Furies and the other? And he said, you'd be great and, you know, we'll pay you. And I went back to the band. and half of them were on the because They're guys I'd met in Cambridge. Oh, yeah, fantastic. I said, I can't go because I'm discovering things this nice. so I turned it down <laughs> and didn't oh go God. out. Oh, my God. So thinking, you could have been. Have I done that now? What, yeah. what happened? You
1: know? Yeah, your life. I mean, do you ever think about that?
0: Well, remember I said earlier how I just made a discovery. It was at that point that the offer came in okay. and I had to keep with that because I thought if I give this up now, I'll, I'll miss out, you know. So but you kept
1: go. the music going just as yeah. a hobby. or Yeah, yeah. kept the hobby and yeah. then I've
0: been in various things. And then what happened lately was... And this gets back to our thing earlier. If you're at a scientific conference, there's always people who want to play, and there might be a band. There's always a function at the end of a conference, like a dinner yeah, yeah. and a bit of dancing, yeah, yeah, yeah. like a DJ or a band, and we get up and play with each other. Some of us scientists, yeah, yeah. and suddenly this is quite good, you know. Yeah. So then I was asked. There was a conference in 2017 in Dublin, and they asked me to put a band together with me mates in Ireland, and I put the Metabolics together, three medics, and we did one gig in the RDS. There's about a thousand people there now, and we played for about an hour and a half. All covers, you know. And I went, good. And then let's do another gig. And we've done about 50 gigs at this stage. Now, I was clever. I brought in a really good lead guitarist. I like got a professional guy, Chris Cole. He's superb on the guitar. Yeah. So he's a pro. Yeah. And he lifts it because he's so superb. you know. And then we did Body and Soul. We've done Electric Picnic twice. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. so
1: quiet? Yeah, yeah. Like,
0: we did actually Picnic last year. Did two gigs there. Yeah. In the minefield. So we what had a residency of soul in music
1: is it What kind of music is it? Anything you like.
0: We've the probably covers. learned about 200 songs. Yeah. Or just covers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, my, my mission there is a similar... It's a Saturday night. People are pissed off. Lift them. (laughs) They don't want to hear track four on the second side of some obscure album or or our own But Some of the guys write stuff. No, no, don't play that. (laughs) They want to hear David Bowie.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you have a bit of fun with it. That's great. Just the best one. Yeah. And
0: in the band, Francis. You're
1: very very positive outlook, Luke.
0: Three medics. Intensive care guy and O'Connor who was on that documentary. He was handling COVID patients. Colin O'Donnell who's a neonatologist in Hollis Street. Premies and all that, you know. And then uh, Brian Murray's a neurologist who works in The Beacon. They're the medics in the band.